2: and their essential love of justice. Hi, welcome to the Kudzu Vine for September twenty 2022. I'm your host, David McLaughlin. Joining me as always, welcome, Catherine Smith. Greetings from Atlanta. And welcome, Tim Shiflett.
0: Good evening, sir.
2: All right, good to have you all on again, and we're looking forward to the show tonight. We're going to have a first-time guest that we're very excited about, um, the uh, number one intern, the, the uh, right-hand person to Matty Iglesias at Slow Boring, Milan Singh is going to be our guest. Milan handles the weekends, it does the mailbag and all kinds of other things, and following 2020 elections, and so we're going to talk to Milan about his work there and about the 2022 20, uh, elections here in about 20 minutes. Um, but until then, last week we spent some extensive time on the Georgia governor's race. That's the one we live in the state and know best, uh, the, the U.S. Senate race. This week we're going to move over to the governor's race and start there and talk about um, what we're seeing. And uh, we've gotten a bunch of more new polls that show different things as far as some have Democrats Democrats doing better, some have Republicans doing better. But I will say one thing I find consistently in the polls, whether it's, a, you know, a four-point or five-point Warnock lead or a one-point Walker lead or, a, you know, almost a dead race or two-point Walker lead, Raphael Warnock is polling better than Stacey Abrams. Or you could say Brian Kemp is polling better than um, Herschel Walker. Catherine do you see that as well and if you think it's true why so
3: well i think i think the simple answer is that herschel walker is a um, is a flawed candidate and there are some people who still are willing to you know cross a Party line to vote for what they think Is a better candidate Um, I think that's the simple answer I think you know and we'll talk More about this as we get Deeper into the conversation I just think that There are a lot of new voters And a lot of um, I don't think undecided Is the right question I think there's just a lot of voters Who aren't getting polled And so I think um, While I have a lot of respect for these polls and understand that they're doing their very best I think there may be some flaws in the polls due, due to the increased uh, voter registration uh, increased use of uh, cell phones and lack of landlines though so some of that is being resolved but so I think but I think the ultimate answer is that Herschel Walker is a flawed candidate and There are some people, like I said, who are going to recognize that and vote for uh, Reverend Dr.
2: Senator Warnock. Yeah, Tim, same kind of thought. I mean, what I'm seeing is Raphael Warnock's favorables are higher than Stacey Abrams, and then Brian Kemp is doing better than Herschel Walker. And I see it as a multifaceted thing, but Tim, what's your take on – um, you know, where that governor's race stands because of that.
0: Well, I mean, Brian, I mean, if you're comparing Brian Kemp to Herschel Walker, yeah, he's clearly a superior candidate. He is far more popular. Uh, he he has a record to run on, and by yep, and point. large, the citizens of the state seem to be okay with his record. Uh, Walker's record is a personal record, and a lot of that does not look good. He's got a lot of strikes against him, including every time he opens his mouth to say something. Um, I I do agree with Catherine that I think there's going to be quite a few, especially suburban uh, conservative voters that are going to vote for both Kemp and Warnock. He, you, you, it would be a lot, lot easier in this state right now to find a Kemp-Warnock voter than it would be to find <laughs> a, a, an Abrams-Walker voter. I mean, uh, so, you know, uh, one of the polls broke it down. Why are you voting for Herschel Walker? Well, only 20% of his voters are voting for him because they actually like it. Uh, the plurality of the voters that are voting against him are are just basically voting ag- against the Democrats, a- and that's why Walker is even in the race at all. That's why it's close at all. Otherwise, um, you know, it would we would probably be looking at a, a high single digit, low double digit lead. For Warnock, so Herschel Walker's very fortunate that he's running when he's running, and and, and who else is on the ticket with? Him? And I think the Republicans hope that that uh, Kemp drags him across the finish line. So.
2: Yeah, um, and these two races, you know, are just like any top two ticket races are tied together. And there are going to be ticket splitters. We know ticket splitters are not what they used to be. Um, but but there feels like there's going to be maybe more than there has in a cycle or two. Now, one sense I get is, you know, if you look below the governor's race, um, all of those races lieutenant governor, secretary of state, attorney general. I don't know that there's going to be as many people that vote for Raphael Warnock, then vote for Brian Kemp, and then vote for some Democrats in those constitutional races. I think Stacey Abrams is going to be kind of a cut line for the rest of the ticket. And the people that vote for Stacey Abrams are also going to be pulled to vote for B-Win and Jen Jordan and Charlie Bailey and on down the list. And so, therefore, even though Raphael Warnock uh, you know, might be the top of the ticket as far as the leading vote getter, Stacey Abrams is pretty crucial to the entire ticket, and if it succeeds or fails all the way down. We know last time John Barrow actually exceeded um, Stacey Abrams in the Secretary of State's race. I don't know that that will happen this time. Um, Catherine, do you think Stacey Abrams will kind of be at the cut line, or if someone could exceed her vote total down below in the ticket, who would that be, if anyone
3: um I, I think I, I think you make a good point. I think that um the there's not going to be very many people who vote for Kemp and Warnock and then vote for Democrats below that. I think that's I think that's a really good point. At least from what we can see now. Like um So yeah, I the only candidate that I think might uh gain some votes because of uh, is be when I think that you know people might be frustrated with Brad Raffensperger and so they might they might uh, vote for a Democrat in that Secretary of State's office but that's iffy I'm not I, I don't I don't put a lot of stock in that but that's the only one of that bunch that I think
2: has you know any kind of traction in that way Yeah, I've actually heard that there are some uh, Democratic-leaning voters and some other races that actually want to reward Brad Raffensperger. Um, Tim, I actually, as I set the same question up for you, I actually think that Burt Jones is so controversial, and I don't know that Charlie Bailey's campaign has the money to do it, but could an outside group, the state party, someone else come in and really expose who Burt Jones is being a fake elector and everything else? To where it would um, really boost Charlie Bailey's chances of you know maybe pushing this thing into a runoff because if you could push it to a runoff and then the Senate race were to be a runoff, which is plausible, then you would have those two races together and then you could then do the double play like you did two years ago for the um, runoff and the the runoff situation. Well, that would be nice, but uh, that's
0: not going to happen. You, you've got those two marquee races at the top, all the outside money. Practically everything is coming, you know, toward those races, and uh, that, that that's just the way it is. The, the others are going to sink or swim with what happens at the top of the ticket, especially something like the lieutenant governor's race where, Uh, 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 they're almost joined at the hip with the gubernatorial candidate, even though they run separately. People, a lot of the voters seem to think of them as one. If they vote for one, they vote for the other. If they vote against one, then they vote against the other. Uh, I I just don't see something like that happening, unfortunately, David. Yeah.
2: Now, I want to kind of change gears on this but put a lot of focus you know, on Stacey Abrams, since we've spent so much time even this week talking about the Senate race, um, and, and it's still a juxtaposition. But in, when I went to the Democratic Convention, when I hear activists talk, I get the idea among the activist base, while they have much respect and adulation for Raphael Warnock, they actually like Stacey Abrams better. They, If they had to pick one for whatever reason it would be – Stacey Abrams would be the pick over Raphael Warnock. But at the same time, I get the sense among that persuadable middle of voters that some of them may end up voting for some Republicans, some of them may end up voting all straight Democrats, and then some may split tickets, that Raphael Warnock is more popular among those voters. And then if you even ask Republicans, which one do you dislike least, they would say, we dislike Raphael Warnock least. Catherine, do you see that too? And if you do, why do you think that's the case? Well, I haven't
3: seen it, but, but that could be that I'm just not in the right circles to see it. But I think it's easily explained that we know Stacey Abrams really well, right? We've, we've watched her grow from, you know, uh, um, the attorney for Atlanta and her visibility there into a state rep and then into the leader and then into the, you know, the elections that she's run. So, and then her, you know, um, very public image over the last couple of years. So I think we just know her well and we know, you know, what she stands for. We can hear her um, speak regularly. We've heard her speak over the years. We know what her um, vision is. Um, And and I think we just don't know Raphael Warnock as well. I think we all, I mean, I have a great deal of respect for him, but I don't know him as well as I know Stacey Abrams. I mean, and I think that, you know, knowing someone and having seen them develop as a leader does have an impact on your, you know, overall opinion of them. So that would be my explanation.
2: Catherine, can I put you on the spot? Yeah, hey, no, I can put you on the spot. Okay, if you had to pick one, which one do you like better, Stacey Abrams or Raphael Warnock?
3: Stacey Abrams.
2: And I think you're part of that activist. I, 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 you know, to the left of the party, and that's what I'm seeing. And nothing wrong with that. I align with with her
3: values. I align with her values on, you know, so many things. I have so much respect for her and. Um, I, I just also am uh, will always, probably almost always pick a woman over a man, just because I think we have we don't have enough women in leadership positions in our country. So. Okay,
2: and that's all fair. I, I'm, I appreciate you answering that question. I said I was putting you on the spot, um, Tim. Now what's your take on all that? Both what I said and what Catherine said? What I we to Tim? Tim too much on Tim, I think we put too much on
0: the spot.
2: And, and he's showing on the board. Let me hear a fresh on this. Tim, you still with us? Um well, well, Tim, what, what do you think your, what 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 and I, uh, I don't want to be on the spot. I'd I say, no. Um, so, actually, I can appreciate the fact that we need to, um, you know, have the country and the state more together. So I think Raphael Warnock is underappreciated, and he did win. I mean, he – in 2020, he won. In 2018, Stacey Abrams didn't. And so he's a proven winner. So I think he is being undervalued. Um yeah, and, and and he's running ahead. So for for whatever reason, more of Georgia voters like him. Um, and I do think that this, this state has a problem with electing women, and it's not good. And it's both sides of the aisle with the nomination process. Up until 2018, so many women of both parties never could get the um, you know the main um, you know nomination for governor, or U.S. Senate. Um, so it is an issue, and it, it needs to change. I mean, states like Alabama um, two women go, or have, to, have had two women governors, so it's kind of amazing in that. Let me check on Tim again. Um, no, I, I, I mean, he's right there, but he's not on. I'm going to mute it and put it on back on and see what happens, because if he had just dropped off the board, I wouldn't worry a bit. Tim, you still with us? Okay. Um, well, Catherine, um, now let's talk about something you had alluded to. Tim went away, and some of come back, but let's um, talk about something else you alluded to. These polls could be wrong, and I think there's a decent chance. I think most likely the incumbents right now are favored if you had to spend money or bet money that you know, wasn't even yours. But the second most likely scenario is that they're not assessing the electorate as it truly is. It's going to skew more Democratic than the polls are showing. I think that's far more plausible than Republicans um, being skewed. Um, Catherine, is that what you're thinking as well?
3: That's what I think. I think that there's, yeah. um, you know, we've seen, you know, large numbers of, you know, women overwhelmingly uh, registering to vote. And I think that a lot of that has to do with the Dobbs decision, but also just a sort of frustration with um, the overall uh, political scene right now. So I think – yeah, I think that we're – I mean my fingers are crossed when I say this, but I think we're going to see better results for Democrats than the polls indicate.
2: Yeah, and, and it may not just be Georgia. It could be other states. Tim, we got you back. We're hoping we have some audio with you this time. Um, I hope you heard all the things we talked about among Stacey Abrams and Raphael Warnock and how the base feels, how the middle voters feel, and then how the Republican base feels. What's your take on all
0: that? Okay, do you hear me now? I yes. do hear you. All right. Well, as I was trying to say a, a <laughs> few uh, a few minutes ago, the base obviously like Stacey Abrams better. I do. I mean, I'm, I met her over a decade ago. I've sat with her, as you know, for two hours at a dinner. We've talked at length on the telephone. Uh, she has been a party leader for a long time. She has a a, a long record of public service in the state legislature. Uh, I I, you know, I agree with both of them on practically all the issues, but um you know my my heart's a little closer to her, but that being said with the with the voters, I believe it's the opposite. I believe the the voters like Reverend Warnock a little better because a he's an incumbent senator, and B again because of his opponent. I believe his opponent actually drives up uh, Senator Warnock's numbers a little bit. Yep, um, that's a really also, good Also, Stacey Abrams and Governor Kemp had a very, very brutal race uh, in 2018, <laughs> and people came out of that race either, I, and this is for both of them, they either hated one or, or, or they loved you know, it, it was no in between. Um so when when you do favorables on these people, there there probably aren't many undecided. People have made a decision on both Stacey Abrams and, and Governor Kemp a long time ago. So I I, I think that's what drives that.
2: Yes, and and we're waiting for Milan Singh to call in, but I bet he's listening, and he realizes After we've talked about this Georgia governor's race, we've talked about Senate candidates and Stacey Abrams, but there is one person we have not really discussed in this whole thing, and he is kind of important to it, and that would be Brian Kemp running for re-election. Now, Brian Kemp came into the governorship after that, to me, ridiculous primary um, commercial campaign he ran, which where he looked like you know, something out of the Snuffy Smith cartoons. Um, well, now I'm going to switch over to our guest. When we come back, we are going to talk about, you know, how Brian can't fit Sundong. But we want to welcome into the Cuzly Vine for the first time, Mr. Milan Singh. Welcome, Milan.
1: Hello, hello. Thank you for having me. Thank you for having me. How are you, David?
2: Oh, we're doing great. Good to have you on here.
1: Um, well, we're so it's excited to, to have you on.
2: Yes, um, I have been... reading the the post for, I guess, well over a year now um, from Slow Boring, and I noticed that there's always two people's name listed, the founder and your name. And I thought, well, I want to find out more about this guy. And I've ascertained a little bit here and there, but I don't know it all. And I know our listeners don't know it all, so let's just start right right there and hear about your biography.
1: Yeah, so uh, do you want me to start from the beginning?
2: Well, I mean, you can talk about the delivery room when you showed up, or you pick up at any point.
1: <laughs> All right. So, February fifteenth, two thousand and three. Uh, I was born in Brigham and Women's Hospital in Boston. My mom says there was a big snowstorm. Flash so forward through a bunch of you know unimportant stuff. Um, I first got involved in politics when I was. Or I first got interested and started paying attention around two thousand seventeen, which. At that time, I must have been about, what, 14, 15 years old. Um, so, you know, 2016, um, it was the first time I actually kind of followed an election cycle. 2008, I was five. I thought George W. Bush was running against Obama. I thought they called him Bush because he had hair like Bob Ross. Um, so I was not the most informed voter. 2012, um, someone in third grade told me that Mitt Romney hated PBS kids. So I was a solid Obama supporter. Um, you know, 2016, I started paying attention um, you know, Trump won the election. It was pretty shocking to me. It was not something I expected. Um, but I remember it was right at the beginning of his presidency. I was watching these two Vox videos on YouTube because I was trying to, you know, I'd been hearing in the news, you know, health care repeal, health care legislation. And I was curious. I was like, you know, let me try to get informed on these issues. Let me see what's going on here. And the first video was a set of interviews with a bunch of voters in rural Kentucky, All of them had voted for Trump. All of them also happened to be on Obamacare. And the interviewer was asking, you know, why did you support Trump, you know, despite him trying to repeal this program? You know, he promised he would repeal and replace. What's your position on that? And all these people said, you know, we like Obamacare, but it's not, you know, the program is too expensive. The benefits are not good enough. And we think Trump is, you know, he said what he said for political reasons. He's a businessman. We think he's going to fix this program and make it work better for us. And then the second video was, I think, Ezra Klein breaking down the Paul Ryan's health bill. I think it's the American – I forget the specific names. Um, but it was Paul Ryan's health care bill and then the Tax Cuts and Jobs Act. And I remember at the end of his video, Klein summarized and he said, uh, if you're poor, this health care bill will make it harder to get care and more expensive and especially if you're sick as well, because of pre-existing conditions, and if you're wealthy or if you own a large corporation, this tax bill will give you a big cut. And I remember my first thought was, this is just morally not correct. Like, these people voted for the Republicans, hoping they would make positive change, and instead, these Republicans, they want to give tax cuts to people who already have more than enough money, more than they know what to spend with, and they want to pay for that by taking health care away from sick and poor people. And to me, that was just morally not right. I, I can't support that. And so that's when I first started paying attention. Um, now, flashing forward again a few more years, it's spring 2021. I just graduated high school. I've gotten into Yale. And my mother told me, consider taking a gap year. And she said, you know, just consider your options. You don't want to make a decision now without considering the alternative and then regret it. And so I said, you know, I'll, I'll consider it. Uh, I didn't think I would do it. But I thought about it. I spoke with some of my friends. I ended up taking one because of COVID, uh, personal reasons as well. I wanted to, as my friend put it, I wanted to smell the roses before you get old and can't do that stuff anymore. Um, so i sorry, I took a year off. I, um, I saw that Mark, my predecessor at Slow Boring, previous intern, had left. Um, he had taken a gap year in the middle of his college career at Dartmouth. He left to go back to school. So, you know, my mom had said, it's fine if you take the gap year, but you need a job because you're not going to sit on the couch all day. And I was like, you know, that's fair. I tried some mowing some lawns on next door, I tried working at Chipotle. But I decided, you know what, I'm going to shoot my shot. I'm going to send Matt an email. I'm going to ask if he's interested in hiring me. Um, I don't know that he was looking for an intern at the time, but I figured let me see if I can create a job for myself. Um, spoiler, it was, it was successful. Um, I've had a great time working here. The research is really fun. I've learned a lot. Um, got to write a few columns myself, as you mentioned. And, yeah, I'm still going to be here at Slow Boring during my first year of college. Uh, yeah, so that's that's my life story in, in summary.
2: Yes. Well, now this whole interview is going to take a different turn because now we're going to focus on to the dearth of grass cutting in the Boston area and how you could have a whole empire now and you just just. Passed it up for this <laughs> slow boy. Here. Um, oh yeah, so seriously. I could <laughs> so seriously, you, you um, yeah. uh, take this job, and so let's talk about your, you know, day to day or week to week duties. Because yeah. you, you know, sure. I just saw this weekend. You're handling the mailbag in addition to your coursework
1: at Yale. Um, what are some of the yeah. things that you're asked to do? Right. So. Um, I obviously, have, I was working full-time previously uh, before I started school. Now I'm working part-time. Um, so I'm doing less. I'll give you first what my day-to-day looked like when I was full-time and now then what it looks like now. Uh, so full-time, I would wake up, you know, I'd do my thing. Matt would slack me something or send, I don't know, it's Slack a verb? I don't know. He'd send me something on Slack. He'd say like, you know, I'm, I'm working on this topic today. Can you find me information about X, Y, Z? So for example, the other day. He said, uh, could you redo this chart you made about average oil production by president, um, average American oil production, and then can you do a, a, a line chart comparing oil production for the United States, Russia, and Saudi Arabia? Um, so I'll, I'll, you know, make the, if you ask me to make some charts, you know, I'll find the data. If he hasn't, sometimes he might send me, like, hey, this is a data set. Can you make this kind of chart? Sometimes I'll say, hey, can you, you know, make this chart, and I'll find the data myself. Other times he's asked me to look things up for him. For example, a few weeks ago, I combed through the websites of J.D. Vance, Dr. Oz, Blake Masters, and who's the third guy? For, I forget. So, uh, a fourth guy running for Senate, a fourth Republican. It might have been... So Walker, possibly? Yes, it was, it was Walker. It was Walker. That was <laughs> the one. I knew it was in my mind. Um, you know, if so like I combed through minutes. their websites... Yeah, I tried to um, figure out... Matt wants to know, what are their positions on the issues? Um, so I learned some things that were that surprised me. For example, before he scrubbed his campaign website, Blake Masters went into um, a lot of detail about how exactly he wants to ban abortion. So he favors a complete abortion ban, a constitutional amendment to ban abortion nationwide. Um, from the beginning, no exceptions. Um, that was pretty extreme. Um, there's also stuff just like, you know, end the Fed. I don't know. Masters seems like a pretty loony guy. Uh, Walker is very light on policy. His website is mostly like one sentence for each policy. It's very vague. Um, Oz is somewhere in the middle. Vance is uh, kind of less detail than uh, – Masters has a lot of detail. Masters has a lot of detail. I know we changed it recently to try to switch it up for the voters. But, yeah, so that's kind of what a day looks like these days. Um, Matt will maybe, like, every other day he'll ask me for help on something, whether that's making a chart, looking something up for him. Um, I schedule out the discussion threads on Sunday or Monday. I have, like, a, a channel on Slack where I'd, like, say cool stuff that I think would make a nice thread. Beginning of the week I just schedule it all out. Sometimes I switch things on the fly. things like, a breaking news topic that I think would make a more interesting tra- thread. Um, yeah, that's kind of what it looks like.
2: Very interesting. Um, Well, one final question that I have before I pass it to Catherine and Tim for election 22 questions is you were born and raised in Boston, and you end up at Yale. How do you pick Yale over Harvard being a Bostonian?
1: (laughs) (laughs) The answer is by not getting into Harvard. Um, But no, seriously, like when I was a kid, I I did – I very much wanted to go to Harvard. I mean I grew up in – In Cambridge, and I say Boston, but, you know, I say Boston the way people who like, you know what I mean. Um, So, but I grew up in Cambridge. My high school was very close to Harvard. Um, So, of course, it's something that's on your mind. I think if I'd gotten in, I probably would have picked Harvard. I don't think that would have been the best decision for me in hindsight because, um, you know, I know what there is to do around Harvard Square for fun very well. Um, And I don't think it would have been as helpful for my self-development, for maturing, for kind of finding my own step. be going to college like 10 minutes away from my parents house and um, yeah I'm liking New Haven a lot so far. Well and
2: I do know people yeah they want to go off to college and I didn't mean it like I think Harvard and Yale are interchangeable in quality from what I understand so I'm actually shocked it sounds like Harvard's lost. Um, I meant it more like if you grew up in Georgia and you went over to Old Miss Ah. instead of Georgia or Georgia Tech. I meant it more the geographic, you know, ties, if
1: you will. Ah, um, uh, yeah. Because that's a very big so thing Haven in the is, South. Yeah. New Haven is very similar. You know, it's the Northeast. It's um, New England, where I grew up. It's, the, the biggest difference is that New Haven doesn't, like, Cambridge, we're right next to Boston. So we have, like, a really big city kind of anchoring us. Um, there's a lot of people who, you know, work in Boston, come back to Cambridge for the evenings where the families are. New Haven doesn't have that. There's no, like, Boston or no big city to anchor it, so it feels a little smaller and like more dominated by the universities. Like obviously Harvard has a tremendous influence on Cambridge, but we have MIT, you know, we have Leslie, we have Tough stuff in Medford. We have of course Boston, biotech, BU, US Boston, B C Northeastern. We have a lot more um, competitors, I guess you could say. Or a lot just more like big institutions, big companies. New Haven I think it's again, this is only my fourth week out here, but I think it's a little more, like, dominated by just Yale.
2: Yes. Well, um, we understand the feel. Tim and I definitely the feel the college town in Rome has count the technical school. You have four colleges. Catherine, I believe, grew up in Ann Arbor, so she understands the college town too. But I'm going to pass it mm. to Catherine to start our questions off about elections 2022.
1: Catherine? Go right ahead.
3: Hey, thanks for being on with us. That's a great story. I, lo- I love your story so far. I think you've got a good story ahead of you as well. Um,
1: thank you. Thank you.
3: I, I think what I just want to start off by talking about the Georgia uh, Senate race. You've obviously done some yes. investigation of uh, our candidates, especially it sounds like Herschel Walker. So yes. what, do you th- what do you think of this uh you know, play of these two uh, black men, leaders in their, you know, somewhat in their communities running against each other. And how do you think it, what does it look like from afar? I mean, we have our own opinions here in Georgia, but yeah. what it, what does it look
1: like from your perspective? So my understanding of this is, one, I, I personally, I really like Senator Warnock. Um, I think Walker is, I want to put this nicely, but I think he's, I, it, are, you know, I've heard him talk. I've are. heard him talk, and he's a football player, and we are aware that um, if you play football for a long time, it can cause some cognitive issues, and I would not be surprised if he did in fact have those issues. I don't want to. You accuse him or say anything because I'm, I'm not a medical professional. I don't know him. Um, but so that one, I don't know that he's qualified. Just he doesn't seem like all there. Warnock seems to be way more competent. He seems to know his material well. Um, but I've looked at Herschel Walker's website. I have my notes up that I took, and it's very, very vague. Um, the one thing that I can see that's a concrete commitment and not just a platitude is the New York Times reporting that Herschel Walker supports a ban on abortion with no exceptions at all, not for rape, not for incest, but instead he would like to have more money uh, to support adoption and to support single parents. Um, Yeah, I think, I don't know, I think that position is just very extreme. And I understand that, of course, abortion is a complicated issue for many people, for religious people, for women, you know, people have a variety of views on this, but I think most of us would agree that no exceptions whatsoever is – Pretty far out there. I don't. I don't know that that's. I, I'm look. I'm not from Georgia, but I. I don't know that that's necessarily either the most popular and of course morally, um, the best choice or the best position to have.
3: Yeah, I. Uh, I would agree with you, on all that. Um, <laughs> but in in terms of uh, the voters. Yeah. And and how, how they'll respond in November. Do you think we have a pretty good um, take on that in the polls, or what is your sort of view of some of these polls? Do you feel like they're accurate? Are we missing some uh, well, big chunks of, especially newly registered voters, as we've talked about? What's your um, well, sort of
1: take on that? Yeah. Um, so I've seen a bunch of polls that show, like, Tim Ryan leading J.D. Vance by like five points, and I don't believe that at all. You see Trafalgar put out a bunch of polls that show like, I don't know, Kathy Hochul in New York getting the same vote share as like the Democratic candidate for governor in Michigan or Minnesota. That doesn't pass the smell test. Um, So I think there are, like, I think a lot of the polling is off. I think it's probably overestimating Democrats across the board um similar to 2020 i mean a lot of policies uh-huh. my understanding is they haven't changed their methods we know 2020 polling error was significant there was like that final washington post poll that had biden up by like 16 in wisconsin He did not win wisconsin by 16 and we know that the polling was biased on both the public side and the private side because you know after there was some polling that showed trump down by double digits in michigan and his campaign pulled all their money from michigan in the final days of the race. So they, their own data was telling them it's not a case of just public polls being inaccurate, problems ones being, being accurate. Even the private polling on the Republican side was overestimating Democrats. Um, but the polls I've seen have, seen have shown a pretty tight race in Georgia for the Senate. I think they've seen – so there's two observations. One, we've seen the race being consistently tight. I think the average has Warnock up by a few points, but it's close. I don't think either candidate is averaging 50 we also see significantly higher support for Warnock than Abrams, so it seems to imply a fair number of uh, Kemp-Warnock <laughs> uh, crossover voters. Um, I do think that Warnock will go on to get a higher vote share than Stacey Abrams in the fall. I don't know if he will win or not. I think it will probably go to a runoff. Um, I think who wins the runoff, I mean, it depends. Maybe Warnock... Uh, or, or Walker is put under more scrutiny when it's just, you know, in the runoff, it'll just be like that one race instead of governor, Senate, House, state legislature, et cetera, on the ballot. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, a lot depends on how the macro economy is doing, um, what, what stuff is sailing in the news. But I would say it's going to be close. My gut feeling is that Senate control will come down to Nevada and Georgia. I think – Oz loses Pennsylvania, I think Bullduck loses in New Hampshire, and I think that the Republicans win in Florida, Wisconsin, and Ohio, though I think Tim Ryan is going to overperform fundamentals by, like, I mean, I think he should, quote-unquote, lose by 10, but because J.D. Vance is a terrible candidate, and Tim Ryan is a good one, I think he might lose by 5 or 6 instead, which is pretty impressive in a Trump-plus-8 state in a Biden midterm. So,
3: I have another. But I have yeah, another I, question I, don't, about the, I don't know that the, the Walker Warnock race. Yes. So they're they're going to be they're they're having a debate in October, yes. and um, I don't know if you saw Herschel Walker's comment this it? week that
1: that, Saying that um, he'll be he'll do badly.
3: Yeah, they he's they're going to try to embarrass him, and he's going to do his very best. Do you think that's an attempt at lowering expectations so that?
0: Absolutely. You know, as long
3: as he do, as long as he doesn't fall on his face he's get that we're gonna come out of that and people are gonna be like, Well, he didn't do that badly. Kinda like
1: Oh, absolutely. Well,
3: before your time, but kind of like Yeah um Gore Bush in two thousand four. Um, so how yeah, that... I
1: remember um Go ahead. Yeah. Sorry, sorry. Um no, I, I think it's absolutely <laughs> an attempt to lower to lower the expectations. Um the one case I remember was um in the twenty twenty primary There were all these, you know, you see it on Twitter, you see it in the media. People were saying, oh, Biden's going to completely fall apart at these debates. He's not even going to be able to put two sentences together. Um, And then people set the bar so low that Biden turning in, you know, completely normal performance is considered, wow, he blew expectations out of the water. I think that may have been intentional on the part of, you know, people who were criticizing Biden, who didn't support him in the primary, who wanted him to lose. Uh, wanted maybe Sanders or Warren or someone else to get the nomination. I think in this case it's coming from Walker's own camp, obviously from Walker himself. Yeah, I think it is an attempt to lower expectations. And I don't think, you know, I mean, in the United States Senate, like it's fine, this is a debate for TV. But I think it says something about the candidate if they're telling people, yeah, you know, I'm not going to do well in this debate. Like you have time to practice. Like if you're, I don't know, to me it's just like admitting incompetence seems like I think that's not a good sign. That's not something that we should applaud. Yes, there may be strategic value, but I think it really shows that Walker is, I don't know. I don't think he's more qualified than Warnock. Um, oh,
3: I, 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 I agree. Hope Warnock wins. I, I don't yeah. think it's anything to be proud of to say that he's going to, you know, try to embarrass me, and I'm not that – I'm not as, you know, whatever as he is. So, I mean, it, it, it sort of says – Yeah,
1: absolutely. I
3: mean, if if you can't even make it through a debate, like how are we – how are you going to make it in the U.S. Senate <laughs> Like, It's a little yeah. It's a it's yeah. a little bit of a backwards argument But uh, we'll see Well I'm going to pass it to yeah. Tim And he's going to, he's going to go back around If we have time I might have another question for you Thanks yeah, so much we course. really appreciate
2: having you on Mama, Thank you for having Tim? me I love it here
0: Hey good evening uh, Milan uh, Glad you're with us tonight I want to turn my attention To a couple of these house races uh, that yes. kind of raised my antenna because, like a lot of people, I, I was early in the year. I was expecting just a perhaps a blowout of thirty seat loss in the in the house or something. But then, but, but then, then it, it started up there in New York. Nineteen, now Pat Ryan was supposed to lose to Mark Molinaro uh, in, and in that special not. election according to all the polls and pundits alike. So first of all, why did Pat Ryan win? And secondly, what does the rematch look like for November?
1: Okay. So, yeah, Um, I happened to be in the 19th district a few days or a few weeks before the election. We were up in the Uh Hudson Valley for my father's 55th. And I mm-hmm. saw a couple signs for Ryan and Molinaro. So the one thing I noticed was that Ryan's signs all said, Pat Ryan, veteran for Congress, special election, what was it, August 28th? Mm-hmm. Um, and Molinaro signs say, I think, like Mark Molinaro for Congress, special election this date. Um, so I think part of it is Pat Ryan is a good candidate. You know, both of them were local county executives. I believe Ryan is Ulster County and Molinaro is, what, Dutchess County? My understanding uh-huh, is that yeah. Ulster County is larger than Dutchess County. Both candidates overperformed partisanship in their respective home counties. They're both elect county wine officials. Um, my understanding, I'm not 100% sure on this, but I believe I saw something saying that uh, Ryan's overperformance in Ulster is what carried him across the finish line. The other thing is that this is happening right after um, Roe v. Wade was repealed by the Supreme Court. Um, uh-huh. We saw the last special election, before Roe v. Wade was repealed, is Texas's thirty-fourth district, which I believe was not theirs. It was um the incumbent Democrat resigned early to take a lobbying job. Um, the district is going to be changed and redistricting, so it's not a different dip map is being used in November. So I don't think the Democrats spent very much money there. But you know, Myra Flores flipped this seat. It was a Biden seat. It's a heavily Hispanic seat in the Rio Grande Valley. It's got a lot of press, and Democrats got. Relative to Biden's vote share in 2020, we did six percentage points worse. The next election after Roe v. Wade is repealed is Nebraska's first district. We did five percentage points better in vote share. After that was Minnesota's first district, three percentage points better in vote share. Now, neither of those seats, we lost both special elections, but we're doing better. In New York's 19th, we've matched pretty much Biden's vote share. I think uh, Pat Ryan did about 0.4 percentage points better. Um, I don't. I think there were, this is using two-party vote share to control for uh, third parties. We don't have to worry about that. But yeah, I think part of the thing to keep in mind is all these special elections since Roe v. Wade was struck down have been in northern seats. Um, but in the north, there are a lot of secular, the people there are sec- more secular than in the south. Um, you know, religion has, uh, there are certain correlations between religiosity and views on abortion. Um, So these are the kind of seats, you know, I think um, New York County was an Obama-Trump seat. So these are the kind of seats where there are a lot of maybe more working class, secular people in the North who are, you know, who one of the big things they maybe disagreed with Republicans on is, you know, extreme anti-abortion positions. So that's one Mm -hmm. factor. You know, the economy is rebounding um, a little bit. Things are getting better. Gas prices are going down. Inflation, you know, it's kind of a mixed bag. Um, you know, Biden scores some wins. I think the big thing, if I had to bet, I would say the primary factor is Roe v. Wade being repealed. I'm sure you and your listeners are familiar with the concept of thermostatic public opinion. When policy, uh-huh. you know, when, if Democrats take office, they enact left-wing policy, the public backlashes, they vote for a Republican in the midterm and vice versa. Normally, when a Democrat is in power, policy moves left. But in this case, one of the biggest policy changes under Biden has been a policy move to the right very clearly associated with the republican party i mean we all know why you know who who appointed the judges that overturned roe v way we all know who in these state legislatures is passing these bills to ban abortion it's very clearly you know a case of policy moving rightward in a very big way in a way that affects half the country at least and that is very clearly tied to the out of party power and that's an interesting case of thermostatic backlash then hitting the out party rather than the governing party the one that has the white house Um, Cautioning for November. So Ryan is, again, he's a strong candidate. He's running good ads. Um, I've seen some of his. There's one where he talks about his experience fighting. Uh, I believe he's Iraq or Afghanistan. I don't remember. But he's a veteran, and he talks about how he went abroad to fight for freedom, how he's going to continue to fight for freedom at home, including freedom for women to make their own health care choices. I think that was a very powerful ad. There's another ad he ran where he talks about um, fighting uh, monopoly utility companies who are trying to price gouge consumers. Um, so he's a strong candidate. I think the new seat he's running in is slightly bluer, and my current expectation is that the generic ballot will be close to tied by November, and if he's in, what, a Biden like medium-high single digits, I think he'll pull it off.
0: All right. Well, now I'm going to go to a place that really... Had my head scratched. Uh, I, I was just scratching my head about this. The last time a Democratic presidential candidate won the state of Alaska, I was nine years old. Now you know how old I am. <laughs> if you know the last time that a Democrat won that state. Was it Lyndon Johnson? Time it was. And the last time, and the last time a Democrat won the at-large congressional seat, I was seventeen years
2: old.
1: A um, long, long time ago.
0: And now we just saw Sarah Palin
2: lose
0: statewide house race, the at-large house race in Alaska to a Democratic Native American. How in the world did that happen?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think the, the biggest factor is that um, Alaska is using ranked choice voting now. Previously, uh-huh. what might have happened is that, you know, Sarah, ba- Sarah Palin and Nick Begich would have um, – I don't know if it's pronounced Begich, but Sarah Palin and Begich would have run against each other in the primary. Palin probably would have won the primary, and then, you know, maybe there are some Republicans who don't like Sarah Palin, but they're like, you know what, i still like a Democrat less. Uh, but I think that – now, you could also make the case that maybe Sarah Palin would win the primary and then lose the general because maybe she's just that bad of a candidate. Maybe there are some people – who would rather stay home than vote for Palin if Begich wasn't the nominee, some Republican voters. I think the biggest thing is, like, Sarah Palin is just seems to be very unpopular in Alaska. Um, I think there's, there was analysis from the Washington Post using the results of the ranked choice voting that showed that if Begich had gotten to the, first, to the second round instead of Palin, he would have won the general, or he would have run, sorry, the runoff. He would have run the runoff. Um, you can see Peltola taking, um, she, I think, at least on Twitter. not Twitter isn't real life, as we know, but she seems to be emphasizing abortion rights, how important they are. She's emphasizing local issues, fish. Um, I understand that that's a pretty big issue up in Alaska, but I think the big factor is, yeah, Sarah Palin is just an unpopular candidate, fairly extreme. And this rank choice system allows voters to pick a more moderate candidate. I mean, I was, I would like to see ranked choice expanded. I think it's a great way to encourage more moderation, you know, um, more common sense less you know toxic partisanship um yeah because right now you can have a situation where say a quarter of the country or a quarter of the voters can dominate one political party's primaries and they nominate extreme candidates even if the population overall would perform more moderate options moderate voters are split roughly halfway each between the two parties and so it's relatively more extreme people get nominated i think it would be generally better for the country we expanded ranked choice voting but you know a lot of people in alaska the referendum passed in massachusetts back home it didn't um i think there are a lot of people you know people who are into elections people who are like political junkies like myself like we know about what ranked choice is but a lot of regular people it might be confusing they might not understand it they might not feel comfortable switching to something they don't understand or aren't well informed about so i think there's more work to be done in persuading people that hey look it can really lead us to these better outcomes
0: all right, and with that, Milan, I'm going to throw it back to David. Thank you for being on with us tonight,
2: David. All right. Yes. Well, Milan, I want to ask you one quick question that can wrap uh, several of these races up. What is a race, yes. Senate, Governor, Congress, that is under the radar that no one's really talking about but people should be watching?
1: Okay, so we all know like the Marquis Senate races, Pennsylvania, I'm sure we've all seen Dr. Oz's latest antics. Um, Mastriano, I think the most, the one that people are sleeping on the most, I would say is the Senate race in Nevada. Catherine Cortez masto against Adam Laxalt. Um, you know, a lot, you know, uh, Mandela Barnes against Ron Johnson in Wisconsin is another one, but I think that, frankly, Barnes is less likely to win than Mazto is just because he's not an incumbent. Wisconsin is a redder seat. Um, but I would say, yeah, the Senate race in Nevada is probably one of the most important. If you have money, if you're able throw a few bucks his way. It's really important that we do not let the Republicans get the Senate majority. We've seen Lindsey Graham say if they win the majority, they're going to try to, or he at least wants to try to pass an abortion ban um, 15 weeks, I think. But it's it's 15 weeks. It's not a state's rights thing. He's going to cap it at 15 weeks nationwide. So even a a liberal state where people are maybe more pro-choice, they can't have abortion beyond 15 weeks, even if that's what the voters there want. But in a red state, they could ban it from birth with no exceptions. Um But, yeah, I think Catherine, of course, has my in Nevada. If you have money, donate to her. Great candidate. Uh, you know, I think Mitch McConnell. Yeah, we we can have a few more years without him being majority leader.
2: <laughs> well, I tell you what, there I know three people that aren't sleeping on that race, and that's Tim Catherine and I, because – we right. um, actually rated that a few weeks ago as the most um, endangered incumbent. I think we said that Pennsylvania was yes. more likely to flip, but we actually yes. thought Nevada no, was more in danger than Georgia and uh, New Hampshire and Arizona yes. and others.
1: So um, sounds like all four of us are now on the same page. I agree. No, of course. I think most likely I think Nevada is the state where Senate control will come down to. So, if you again, if listeners, if you have mm. money – after this call, I'm going to give uh, Cortez Moscow 20 bucks. I'd encourage you guys to do the same. Yeah. Yes. Well, I, I want to leave you this
2: final question. We've talked so much about your work with Slow Boring, but people may be like, what is he talking about? So I want you to tell people how to read you on Slow Boring. And if there's other places people can find you, social media, or you've gotten your own yes, thing sure. working, just share all those details with our listeners.
1: All right. All right, so SlowBoring, SlowBoring.com. Slow as in not fast, boring as in uh, the boring company. I'm not going to say not exciting because it's all very exciting. SlowBoring.com. Um, we have discounts available for students, for public sector employees, for veterans, and for, uh, you know, for if you serve. Um, yeah, if you need help getting these discounts, email me. Millen at slowboring.com. That's M-I-L-A-N at slowboring.com. Yes, I work there. I write some stuff there. You can subscribe. If you subscribe to the paid uh, tier, you get a little access to a little more stuff. You get to see the little weekly discussion threads. Um, Yeah, it's like it's an email newsletter. It's a Substack. The line I like to use to explain to people is it's like OnlyFans for journalism. Um, And... Other stuff, so I've written recently, I did a little article for the Yale Daily News, wrote about the foreign minister of Lithuania's talk on campus. I might be doing a few more things there. Um, Twitter, Millen Singh, M-I-L-A-N-S-I-N-G-H-03. I, I don't tweet much. I mostly like to read the tweets, but I tweet stuff I write. Um, Instagram, it's just my name. Millen Singh, M-I-L-A-N-S-I-N-G-H, except the first I is a one because I couldn't get just Millen Singh. Um, yeah, I don't know. Venmo, Millen Singh 03 as well. Run of cash <laughs> app, but,
2: you know. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's where you can find me.
2: Well, Millen, well, I think you're the first person to share their demo. Even Gold Party <laughs> Ron years ago didn't share his, his demo. So um, you look up Gold Party Ron. That may be a whole column in itself, and you can do the whole expose. <laughs> but we sure do. Ooh, um, have to look uh, into it. We're glad to have you on the show tonight.
1: Thank you. Noah. It's been great being here. Thank now you so I get much. to go write my paper. Yeah, I'm going to go write <laughs> yeah, my philosophy well, paper. This is going to be fun.
2: Yes, well, well, I, I know how Sunday nights are for college students. You've taken Friday and Saturday off, and then you got to
1: get right back at it <laughs> yeah. and be ready for Monday. So never stop. We'll
2: let you. Yeah, we'll let you get on your way, and we're going to be reading you online as well. And if you start publishing your papers, who knows when they start reading those too. But thanks again for coming on the Kudzu Vine. Yeah, Thank yeah. you so Thank much. You
1: for having me. Uh, yeah, take care, everyone. Thank okay. you,
2: sir. All right.
1: All right, bye bye.
2: That was Millen Singh from Slow Boring, um, and Yale, freshman at Yale, and so uh glad to have him on the show. And um I think we've got just a few minutes and that's just enough time to talk about what we're gonna set what we set up earlier, and that is we hadn't talked about incumbent uh Brian Kemp. Now a lot of times in reelection it is a thumbs up, thumbs down on the incumbent. And now like we talked about with uh, Millen, it's it's um the fact that the um Dobbs case came out. It's not all gonna be about Brian Kemp's um you know, incumbency, but a lot of it will be. And so he's you know, made a lot of headlines, you know, he, he gave us some teacher raises at the college level, at the state level, the Reviant plant, a plant that holders coming. Uh, but at the same time A lot of rural hospitals And now what used to be Georgia Baptist Atlanta Medical Center Is closed down and people are really Worried about the healthcare picture in Georgia So it's kind of been a mixed bag um, Any way you look At it. Um, Catherine Where are people going to Stand on his you know, First and possibly only term as Governor
3: Well you know I think it's going to be a mixed bag for him. I think there's a lot of people who like the way he handled the pandemic. I personally am not one of them. Um, I think there's, uh, we've had some terrible things happen here with um, like this closing down of the Atlanta medical center. It's going to be a big issue, but I don't know that he'll get any slack for that. I'm not sure that, it will end up in his lap. We'll see. Um, things like the that battery plant, um, lots of, you know, conflict over that. Um, I, I just think it's a mixed bag, and I think it's going to fall on party lines. You know, the Democrats don't like a lot of the things that he did, and Republicans like a lot of the things that he did. Um, and I think he has done, tried to do some... Uh, repair with, like, the teacher raises and uh, some other things. His recent remark about banning contraception isn't going to help him much, but, um, yeah, I think it's a mixed bag for him.
2: And I think it falls down party lines pretty much. Yeah, Tim, um, you know, same kind of thing. Um, you know, maybe some of the things they recruited in job growth has been positive, but in particular, I think the healthcare picture is a real, um, looming question for him. How do you see, um, people assessing his term?
0: Well, uh, I seem to have a little bit more positive outlook on his chances, obviously, uh, uh in in looking in looking at the polling it has been stable all years he has been yeah. ahead in practically every poll and he's running like in 538 composite polling 50.4% real clear politics 50.6% she is in the 44 to 45 range uh there doesn't seem to be many undecided um My my only question is this, guys, and and it's not about policy, but it's about voter registration. Catherine, you mentioned a a few weeks ago that um, in later registration in this cycle, women are far out-registering men in new voters. So I've got to wonder, first of all, if that's showing up in that polling. And number two, I've got to ask: surely that's going to make a huge difference, isn't it? Especially if it's not showing up in the polling. Well, my question to y'all is: is it showing up in the 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 polling, the public polling that they're taking? All of these new voters, because we know why so many women are registering to vote, right?
2: Yeah, I, I think if those voters came in just the last few months, they may not be showing up on the voter rolls that the pollsters are using fast enough. And then, of course, yeah. if people are using a version of the electorate that showed up in 2016, 18, 20, um, even though those were all you know fairly high turnout years, um, it, it may not reflect what the electorate's going to be in 2022 if it is like that in New York race that you and uh millen spoke of and so um that's going to be hard to guess i mean that oh the electorate shifts but i think that is um brian kemp's biggest fear and Stacey abrams biggest hope that that is right. her path to victory um right. you know one thing katherine you mentioned the pandemic and i see that with also the health care to me it seems like you know the first week or two maybe even month Brian Kemp handled the pandemic more medically responsible, and then a lot of the folks on the right wing seemed to um, react negatively to it, and he just gave in to them. And then I think the same thing could be true for not only Brian Kemp but a lot of Republican politicians. They know the medical industry needs that Medicare expansion, but they're afraid what the hardcore Republican base is going to think, and I think Brian Kemp falls into this a lot if Brian Kemp were able to make a decision that he believes in by himself he might be not even middle of the road but closer to the middle from the right side of the aisle but when he worries about the republican base he goes far too extreme to the right and that's hurt him on the pandemic that's hurt him on um you know thinking about possibly expanding medicare um and i wonder if those decisions, in a general that might have helped him in the primary, will come back just and cost him, you know, maybe just ten thousand votes, but in a close race, that pushes it or causes him to lose.
3: Yeah, I, no. I guess my, you know, I always say about things like this is that okay? He's already he he's got the nomination, and uh, he's very, uh, you know, by all the polls that we see, he's very well-liked and he has you know he's certainly in the lead so now's the time to you know talk about the important things but that's not what our that's not what our politicians do they don't they're so worried about that base like no one's gonna no one who's like a hardcore base republican is gonna get mad at um kemp and not vote for him because he says that we need to expand medicare
2: medicaid but yeah,
3: he's still worried about it. So,
2: yeah, yeah, and I think you're right. It's Medicaid expansion, not Medicare, but you you expand yeah, and take more Sorry. dollars, um, and, and it would be, I think, a good move for the state of Georgia because a lot of Republican states have done it. Because the number of states that have expanded uh, Medicaid, take that funding, is well more than just the Democratic leaning states. Well, uh, great show. Thanks to uh, Milan Singh for coming on tonight, and we're excited. Uh, next week, we're going to have Wendy Davis and her return to the Yay. show, one of our most frequent guests of all time, I think, in the top two, her and Tom Jensen. And then the next week, coming back, not to talk about a book, but to sp- talk specifically about Florida politics, possibly any other Florida Man issues, because he is the expert on Florida Man, uh, Craig Pittman will be joining us. So we've got two more great shows lined up. So until next week, been the Good vine. Good night. night, guys. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Will a strong and united America still be a force for freedom and prosperity around the world? America has created the longest peacetime economic expansion in our history. We are the heirs of that first revolution. Good, common sense and sound judgment of the American people and their essential love